thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Good morning, church family. You came back for week two of this series. I rise up and call you blessed. Well done. Welcome. Welcome back. Uh, We are in the second week of a series called What's the Point? A surprisingly happy sermon series on Ecclesiastes. I had a couple of people come with uh, theories as to why I was doing this sermon series. I thought I'd share them with you. The first theory was um, our church is growing and we're adding services and so I'm doing a series to put a stop to all of that. Kind of like a reverse church growth strategy from the pulpit. Um, so then someone else came and asked me with a little bit of concern in, the, in their eyes whether or not I was having a midlife crisis. That was another thing. Those things may or may not be true, I don't know. But here we are back in uh, Ecclesiastes for the, the second sermon in this series. We're going to read from chapter 1 into chapter 2, from verse 12 of chapter 1 through to the end of chapter 2. It's a, it's a longer scripture reading, so let's give our attention, let's give our affection to what God has to say to us in his word this morning. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, hevel, and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow." I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was hevel. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great." And surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. 
Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my, all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was heavy, and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is hevel. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies, just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is hevel and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is hevel. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is hevel and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is hevel. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is hevel and a striving after wind. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would be pleased to come once again and be our teacher that in these moments we would be confronted not just with the hard realities of this life, but with the beautiful realities of your grace, and that we might learn, Lord, how we can live this beautiful life beautifully when we live it in your hands. Be with us, we pray then, in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you to, to keep your Bible open or to follow along in an app on your phone as we work through this text together, starting in verse 14, where the preacher gives us a summary of last week's passage, and in many ways, uh, a summary of last week's sermon. You see it there, verse 14 of chapter one, I have seen everything that is done under heaven, under the sun, and behold, all is hevel and a striving after wind. Vanity, we said, is this Hebrew word hevel, and it means breath, vapor, smoke. That's what our lives are. Life is a breath. 
you will die, I will die. You will be forgotten, I will be forgotten. Well, now this week in chapter two, the preacher is gonna put this thesis that all is hevel to the test. Because it's one thing to declare it poetically, but it's another thing to to experience it in real life. In chapter one, is he kind of like that philosophy student who's taken one too many classes and now can just decree things that he thinks to be true, but that don't really hold up in the reality of life? Well, what chapter one has described poetically, chapter two is now gonna describe practically. And so we've got a bit of a good news, bad news situation for you this morning. The good news is, if you missed last week, this week is gonna catch you up. Bad news for everyone who was here last week, you're getting a similar sermon again. Are you ready? Let's do it together as we join the preacher on a quest, on a journey to find meaning and satisfaction in this life. The passage that we read a moment ago is a description of his attempt to to find meaning and satisfaction um, with, with all that this life, all that life on earth has to, to offer. And we're going to join him in this pursuit of happiness as, as he discovers point one. And dear church, I'm sorry that this is point one. Here we go. Point one, nothing matters. That's what the preacher discovers. Nothing matters. He tries a series of things to make himself happy, beginning as a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed high school graduate uh, with the pursuit of satisfaction in education. Do you see it there in verse 16? He looks to find meaning, looks to find satisfaction and wisdom in, in education. I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. So his journey begins by going off to the University of Jerusalem, where there he is on this this quest to find meaning and satisfaction. And there he takes the hardest classes, and he takes all the meanest, meanest professors, and then he gets all the best grades and passes all of his exams, gets a well-rounded education, but then concludes, verse 17, it was all striving after wind. Education didn't make him happy. Indeed, look at verse 18 in much wisdom, is much vexation. Vexation is a Hebrew word that means anger, provocation, indignation. In our divided culture, you'll find a lot of those on on every college campus. The preacher is saying this, you think that your education or the college that your kids go to matters? Hevel. Don't believe the lie that academic success is somehow the key to a successful life. That if you or your children will somehow just get the right grades and go to the right school and graduate from the right college and have the right degree, that everything thereafter is gonna be sunshine, rainbows, roses, and and, and happy days. That's not the way the real world works. Education does not guarantee a satisfied life. In fact, pour all of your time and all of your energy and goodness, all of your money into academia. And do you know what you might end up as? An academic. And we all know how insane and out of touch and agenda-driven many of them are, right? Present Cedar Springs members excluded, okay? 
The preacher is saying, education won't make you happy. Okay, well, in the next scene, the preacher, like many a college student, turns from his classes, turns from education to trying to find satisfaction at a party. See him there in verse one of chapter two? That's where we find him. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. If being sensible and getting straight A's hasn't done the job, let's try a different approach. And so indeed he does hit up all the best bars and all of the best breweries. He laughs until he's hoarse and he stays up until the wee hours, but then he finds, isn't it strange, that even being happy doesn't make him happy. Even being happy doesn't make him happy. Look what he concludes in verse one. Behold, this was also vanity. Hevel, how can being happy not make you happy? All of us understand who've ever woken up and said, never again. Of course, being happy doesn't make you really happy. <laughs> that's, just not, that's just not how it works. The preacher says, do you think any kind of social scene is going to get that done? Maybe it's a crude version where you, you know those nights where you don't, you don't really remember where you were. You don't really remember what you did. You don't really remember who you were with. You woke up and you said, Evel. But do you know there's a refined, sophisticated version of this too? Do you think there's any more meaning to be found at, at, at you know, the expensive restaurants and nights at the orchestra? Also, Evel. Meaning and satisfaction cannot be found in the pursuit of a partying life. Well, okay, having found that education and partying didn't work, the preacher continues his quest by graduating and heading off to work. Maybe meaning and satisfaction can be found in, in discipline, in production, in his vocation, and just look how he attacks it in verse four of chapter two. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I made myself pools. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. Do you see how self-absorbed and self-referential all this is? I did this and I did this and I did this. Why? For myself, for myself, for myself. And so in the end, did any of it make him happy? Jump down to verse 18 of chapter 2. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. None of it made any difference. All of it was dust and ashes. Preacher says, do you think your work is gonna make you happy? That is hevel. We said last week, and so we say again, that you can pour all of your time and energy and, and effort into your career, and you'll find that it creates stress and anxiety, and you miss things with your family, and then you get ulcers, and at the end of the day, do you know what? You still die. And when you die, did you catch it in verse 19 and, and following? When you die, Everything that you've amassed will then pass to someone else. And that person, they might be wise or they might be a fool. They might make the most of and steward wisely all that you've given them or they might squander it all in stupid wild living or in giving it some cause with which you don't agree. And then there's the pointlessness even of the work itself. Leonard Wolf is a a British publisher and political theorist. He was um, probably most famous for being married to Virginia Woolf, right? But he had this to say about his, his life's work. I see clearly that I have achieved practically nothing. The world today 
and the history of the human anthill during the past five to seven years would be exactly the same as it is if I had played ping pong instead of sitting on committees and writing books and memoranda. I have therefore to make a rather ignominious confession that I must have, in a long life, ground through between 150,000 and 200,000 hours of perfectly useless work. Hevel. I mean, I, um, did you do anything this week that's going to matter in 100 years? At the office, did you answer any email that's going to matter in a decade? How about a year? Um, how about a week? The preacher says, none of this can give you meaning. None of this can give you satisfaction. But hold on. Remember, there's an optimist in the preacher and there's always an optimist in the views. And, and as I've shared, there's an optimist behind the pulpit. Maybe these things haven't worked. Maybe education and partying and, and work hasn't brought satisfaction. But maybe the fruit of all this work will. Maybe success will make you happy. And that's what the preacher tries next in verses eight and, and following. Maybe happiness is found in the fruit of success, not in work, but in what work gives you. And look how he tries that famous fool's triumvirate of money, sex, and power, line after line in verses eight and nine. Starting with money. Will money make him happy? I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. Along with money, what did he get? He got sex, verse eight. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Along with all this money and all this sex, he also amasses power, Luke, verse nine. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. You see, this is the fulfillment of some crude Hollywood dream. He's top of the Forbes billionaire list. He has more beautiful women than he knows what to do with. He is influential. He is on the A-list. And yet, look what he concludes in verse 11. I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was hevel and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. The preacher says, you think success. You think money, sex, and power are going to make you happy? Hevel. Now, can we just stop and test ourselves on this? Because you know most of us do think that success makes you happy. That's the big cultural idol of our day. We, we do think if you amass those things, it will make you happy. Most of us think this is the right path and that we're just not far enough down that path yet. But that if we did get there, if we did get further down that path, then, then happiness is surely at the end of that rainbow. So happiness is just on the other side of whatever you've decided the next thing is. The next thing might be a promotion, it might be a pay raise, it might be a new home, it might be a new kitchen in the new home that used to be the thing you thought you needed, but now you got there and you didn't like the kitchen. Uh, it might be now a vacation, you need to get away from that home and new kitchen that you have. Um, it might be all sorts of things, but we believe like happiness is on the other side of that next thing. And you talk to people and you say, how are you doing? And they say, well, I'm not doing great, but as soon as I get past this, then, then I'll be happy. And the answer is, hevel. You know, you know the only people who don't think success makes you happy? Are the super successful. Because one of the sad kind of ironies in life 
is that sometimes you have to get the thing you thought would make you happy to realize that that thing won't make you happy. You have to climb to the top of the ladder before you realize you had your ladder up against the wrong wall. And so here's one example from Karl Reberder, a successful Austrian businessman turned philanthropist. He said this, for a long time, I believed that more wealth and luxury automatically meant more happiness. But over time, a conflicting feeling developed. More and more, I heard the words, stop what you're doing now, all this luxury and consumerism, and start your real life. I had the feeling I was working as a slave for things that I did not wish for or need. It was the biggest shock of my life when I realized how horrible, soulless, and without feeling the five-star lifestyle is. None of this five-star lifestyle made the preacher happy. Educations, parties, work, success, money, sex, and power. He is a man who had it all, yet none of it mattered. Nothing matters. Why? Because none of them provided the satisfaction he was looking for, and he knew that ultimately he would lose them all to death. You ready for another happy excursion into the reality of your impending death? Okay. Go with me in verse 14. The wise person has his eyes in his head. Isn't that a great phrase? Um, the wise person is, uh, is paying attention. They're looking around. We'd say they have their head in a swivel, right? But the fool walks in darkness. They stumble around. And yet, I've perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Do, do what you want with your life, and the same event is going to happen. What's the same event? The same event is we're going to die. That we can accomplish whatever we want, but we will end up dead like everybody else. That you can be as unique, you can be as special, you can be the best you that your culture calls you to be, and in the end, death will be the great equalizer for us all. Verse 16, for of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten how the wise dies just like the fool. It doesn't matter if you're the, the wisest person on earth or the village idiot, you end up in a box in the ground. And then what happens? Nobody remembers you. We leave no legacy here on earth. And so he concludes verse 17, I hated life because what is done under the sun, all that can be accomplished just on this earth, was grievous to me, for all is hevel and a striving after the wind. In the end, this earth couldn't make him happy. And in the end, all he accomplished didn't add up to anything, because in the end, he would lose it all to death. Now, we said last week that we're, we're a people who, um, who naturally and understandably don't like to think about those ultimate realities. I came across a, a Blaise Pascal quote this week. He's a French philosopher from the 17th century. He said, as men have not been able to cure death, misery, or ignorance, they have taken to not thinking about them so as to become happy. If we have a, we haven't met a problem that denial won't fix. So if we can't fix it, we'll just deny that it exists. And if that was true in the 17th century, how much more true is that today? 
where we busy ourselves with work and extracurricular activities, how even in the silent moments we start to scroll or put on a podcast or, or Netflix, doing all that we can to not allow these ultimate realities that we all know are true to intrude into our thinking. But we want to be a people, we want to be people who live examined lives. We don't want to be a people who live an endless version of let's pretend for 70 or 80 years until we die. We want to be a people who, who live in reality. And so here's the summary of chapters one and two. You ready? Life is a breath, you will die, you will be forgotten. That's chapter one. Chapter two, and in the meantime, you can fill your life with whatever you want, and it won't make you happy. Nothing matters. Point one. When we accept it, when we accept that under the sun, if all there is is this life, that that nothing matters, we might be ready to receive the conclusion the preacher has for us in verse 24 through 26. And what is his conclusion? Friends, um, something surprisingly happy. Remember our sermon series, what's the point, we're all gonna die? Well, a surprisingly happy sermon series on Ecclesiastes. So let's, let's listen to his surprisingly happy conclusion. Yes, under the sun, nothing matters. If all there is is this life, then nothing matters. But from a different perspective, point two, everything matters. Nothing matters, everything matters. I said last week that this is how a friend of mine sums up the message of Ecclesiastes. How can both these things be true, we ask? Well, that's kind of like asking Dickens, how can it be the best of times and the worst of times? (laughs) Well, it can be both, and it depends how you look at it. And in the same way, depending on how you look at it, nothing matters or, or everything matters. If all we have is this life, then nothing matters. But if there's more, well, do you see the preacher's conclusion? Look down at verse 24. There's nothing better, he says, Suddenly this turn, this change in mood, nothing better than for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw. Now, what does he always say after he said, and I saw that this was? Hevel. That's how he he normally finishes the sentence. This, This was meaningless, but now he said, ooh, this I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have any enjoyment? Did you notice how absent God has been throughout this account? He did make one appearance up in verse 13, but really only so that the preacher could describe how he's part of the problem. And then throughout this whole journey, this quest for meaning, this quest for satisfaction, God has been completely absent. But now he appears, and what a difference his appearance makes. Hopelessness, hevel, that's the human perspective. That's the only perspective you can have if all there is is life under the sun, life on this earth. But with God comes this hope that we said last week is a hope that outlives death. This is what we have in in Christ, a hope that, that can't be destroyed even by death itself, that yes, under the sun, nothing was new, so Jesus came from above to make all things new. He came to give us a hope that couldn't even be destroyed by death, and this eternal hope that we have reverses everything. Yes, all is heaven under the sun, but from the hand of God, joy comes. Here's the main idea. 
Right, rest of, rest of the sermon, okay, we're nearly done. I wanna give you this idea, I wanna show you how it works. Show you the difference it makes in your, in, in your life. Hang, hang with me, all right? Here's the main idea. For the preacher, finding ultimate meaning in God frees you to enjoy the things of this life. Let me say that again. The, the, the purpose of this chapter is to communicate that finding ultimate meaning in God frees you to enjoy the things of this life. So this is how this works, okay? Yes, we do have ultimate meaning in God. Do you see that in verse 26? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. Isn't this a beautiful gospel verse? Who are those that please God? Those who get the right grades? Those who go to the right parties? Those who work the right way? Those who get success? Those who earn it? No. Those who, who please God are only those who, who are messed up and broken and, and come to Christ. In Christ, by faith, we become beloved sons and daughters with whom he is well pleased. And in his pleasure, he is then glad to give us all things. Our verse here says, um, wisdom and knowledge and joy. A deep satisfaction that even death can't destroy. You understand that the very thing that so many people spend their whole lives looking for cannot be earned. It can only be given to you by God as a gift. And once you have that, far from making the rest of life heaven, far from making the rest of life meaningless and, and, and pointless, now, in fact, you can start to enjoy the things of life. One commentator, Derek Kidner, puts it this way. He says, in themselves and rightly used, the basic things of life are sweet and good. What spoils them is our hunger to get out of them more than they can give. Let me say that again. Kidner argues that in themselves and, and, and used the way God designed, the basic things of life, Education, parties, work, success, money, sex, power. These things are, are sweet and are good. What, what destroys them, what poisons them, is when we try and, and use them to get something that they can never give us. When we expect the basic things of life to give us meaning, satisfaction, joy, purpose, we're expecting them to give us something that they can never deliver. We're looking for them to fill a hole in us that they can never fill. But once we find that deep satisfaction in the pleasure of God, we are then free to enjoy these basic things just for what they are. Okay, that's the theory. Let me make this as practical and as concrete as I can. How does this work? Well, let's use the examples of our text. Let's start with education. When you stop using education to give yourself some sort of sense of self-importance or to validate the way that you've parented your kids, <laughs> you can then start to enjoy education just for what it is, which is the incredible exploration of this wild world that God has created. And, and you, can, you can go to school and you can go to college and you can enjoy this season of study and exploration and maturation and growth as a beautiful gift from God. Because you're not hoping it's gonna give you something else, you're just trying to enjoy it 
for what it is. Okay, well, how about parties? When you stop using parties, when you stop using being seen with a particular crowd to make you feel on the inside, to make you feel uh, popular, to make you feel important or influential, when you stop looking for fulfillment in some sort of pleasure, you know that actually frees you to enjoy the heck out of life. You know, the go- look, I will continue to preach this. God's message is not follow me and be miserable. That is not the message of the gospel. Order your joy and find fulfillment in the right things. That's the message of of the gospel. And once you have deep satisfaction in God, you can enjoy parties for what they are. You should have friends that you laugh really long with. You should have friends that you laugh too loudly with. You should have a favorite wine that you look forward to drinking with Jesus in the kingdom to come. These are good gifts that God has given you to enjoy, and you can enjoy them because you're not hoping that they're going to give you something else. Okay, what about work? Yes, work. When you stop using work uh, to become important, to become influential, to become kind of master of your own universe, it frees you to enjoy your work, and, and it frees you to enjoy it in a way that, that it, won't, it won't rule your life. You can be grateful for the fact that God has given your hands meaningful things to do, that provide for you and for your family. You can enjoy exploring how the work itself can be satisfying to you and a blessing to others in your community. You can enjoy work because you're not trying to get it to give you some kind of sense of identity. You're just accepting it for what, for what it is. Lastly, success. When we stop making success the be-all, end-all, when we stop thinking that happiness is just at the end of some sort of next thing, we're able to then enjoy all that comes our way as good gifts from him. So money becomes a, a gift from the hand of God that we get to steward for our own joy, for the welfare of others. Sex becomes an incredible and completely unnecessary gift from the hand of God that we get to enjoy when using it in accordance with his design. Power or authority becomes a gift of God that that you will steward for the welfare of others in, in your community. We stop expecting success to give us something it can never give us. We can then enjoy it for what it is. And with this perspective, with this sense that we have deep satisfaction in God and therefore can enjoy life, you start to enjoy not just those big things, but you start to see the gift, the, the the gift of God, the hand of God, the goodness of God in everything. You, you enjoy the sun on your neck and you thank him for it. You enjoy drinking a cup of coffee on your deck and you thank him for that. You enjoy your kids not because they got an A, but because they're so overcome with goofy joy that they just lost a tooth. You enjoy... Um, Vulnerable, even hard conversations with a friend or with a spouse because you're entering into the meaningful things of, of life. You enjoy exchanging a smile with your postman as they deliver your mail. You enjoy time with a friend over, over a meal. You en- enjoy the comfort of God as he meets you in your sorrows. You enjoy the, the, the pleasure of Jesus as he gives you hope for eternity, for, for tomorrow. You start to enjoy all that there is in life. When we stop expecting the things in life to give us a meaning and satisfaction that can only be found in God, we become free to enjoy them for what they are. Here's my sermon in a sentence. Elbow your neighbor, wake them up, 
it won't make any sense to them, but if you've been listening, this will. In the gospel, you get to have your cake and eat it too. That's my sermon in a sentence. In the gospel, you get to have your cake and eat it too. You want deep meaning, satisfaction, purpose, and joy. You can have it. It's a gift of God by his grace. He has set his love upon you. He is pleased with you. He will walk with you every day of your life and then he will walk with you into eternity where all will be well. Well, you say, yeah, but I also want to enjoy this life. (laughs) You can. You can. That's a good gift from his hand. God gives you eternal meaning, satisfaction by his grace and then frees you to enjoy this life as a gift. And I just wonder what it would look like for you to take that mindset into this week, to thank him for the eternal hope you have, but then to try and enjoy this life as a gift from his, from his hand. Would it be your studies? Would it be your social interactions? Would it be your work? Would it be how you steward success? How would, how would this mindset change your life? Final sentence, dear ones. Um, in God, nothing is hevel. In God, life is beautiful. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you that you give us these sections of your word that confront us with ultimate realities, but also point us to where true hope can be found. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help our hearts to rest in your pleasure, in the love that you have for us that assures us that that we are loved today just as as we are uh, and that we will spend eternity forever with you. And with this deep satisfaction, Lord, free us to enjoy this life. Would we be a people um, who live this beautiful life beautifully because we're living it in your hand, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.